Welcome back. Justine Harcourt de Tourville here, editor-in-chief of Virtual. And my next guest, Skip Rizzo, is a legend in virtual reality. Not necessarily in cinematic, but you could argue he does have a cinematic quality about him. Like a distant cousin of the dude. You know, larger than life. I suppose that's because when Skip talks about VR, he's seen the technology evolve. His office even boasts an ancient astronaut-like headset. But mostly, Skip's got this science-based excitement. He's knowledgeable, willing to share the facts, but he's not trying to convince you about VR in some kind of smarmy salesman way. Rather, it's because he knows firsthand about the good he sees with virtual reality and the impact of story. In this episode, I'm talking with Skip, who refers to himself as the Ayatollah of VR, but by day, he's research scientist and director of medical virtual reality at the Institute for Creative Technologies at the University of Southern California. Have a listen. If you have any kind of anecdotes or thoughts specific to narrative and storytelling, I know that's not what you do, but I'm, well, I'm wondering if you have... I've got, I've got a couple of projects. Uh, one that uh, in 2014, we built six full-on episodes called Stress, Resilience, and Virtual Environments. I can describe, I can show you, link, they're linked online, basically immersive narratives to prepare service members for what they might face in... Coming real, home in a real no when they before they even go oh this was designed to put ourselves out of a job on the back end treating PTSD by doing a better job in preparing people so you put them through a seven minute Band of Brothers like episode where they're in a VR headset and they're with a squad on a mission and at the end of the episode shit hits the fan a kid dies you get blown up in a Humvee. Uh, one of your one of your squad members gets killed, and up to that point, these are all modeled after the things that people with PTSD talk about being things that haunt them. So at the end, at that point, it's like an emotional obstacle course. You know, it's like this is the shit you're going to face, and we want you to experience it in advance. Mm-hmm. But we don't just stop there. At that moment, out walks a virtual mentor through the smoke and rubble or whatever debris. And uh, he'll guide you through a whole range of coping strategies for dealing with stress. So the idea was, you know, whether it's teaching acute stress reduction by deep breathing um, or higher level conceptualization of moral injury and dealing with death, death, death and dying, um, you know, in the context of this hellish thing, you're learning the tactics and think of it, think of this for me and you, it might be different, but a 19 year old whose biggest stressor up to that point was Mary Sue breaking up with him before the junior prom. Now they're seeing a kid die, a civilian kid that they couldn't prevent or one of their own or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're not prepared for it. So you give them an advanced look, but then give them the skills to deal with it. These And so you're saying that virtual reality, putting somebody in headset can help familiarize and help them anticipate what's going to happen? What I'm, what I'm saying here is that by immersing somebody in a VR context, but also having story, that you're leveraging two of the most powerful ways that people learn. Learn by experience and learn through narrative, learn through storytelling. Um, you know, you want to rack that up against uh, 
reading something out of a book or sitting through a death by PowerPoint presentation or getting a lecture, just a plain verbal lecture, you're going to remember the experience. And if it has a story, it's going to stick. So it's and, a one-two punch. Yeah. And that's what the, 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 the center that we're at right now, the Institute for Creative Technologies, we were founded on that premise that um, the military wanted a research institute in L.A. to leverage the Hollywood talent pool in, of course, special effects, gaming, stuff like that, graphics, but in narrative. So the Army, believe it or not, had foresight in 1999 to see that narrative was an important component for boosting, you know, potentially the training effects of what goes on in a simulation. So that has always been uh, the vision here. And in some ways, because of that, um, in this building, we're sort of like the unholy alliance between Hollywood, the military, and academia. You know, three completely messed, different <laughs> cultures, you know, that somehow get along. Um, and that's that's part of it. So that's one example where we b- basically built the simulations of the combat environments from the same 3D graphic content that we had developed for treating PTSD on the back end by helping people to go back and confront and process the difficult emotional memories that they went through, but doing it in a safe place with a clinician. When you first hear it, it sounds like torture. You know, why would you do it? And admittedly, it's hard, it's hard medicine for a hard problem, but it works because the biggest problem with PTSD is people just do everything they can to avoid thinking about it, going to places that remind them about it, telling people about it. Um, nobody understands them. So here you put them in a VR environment that in some sense is like a narrative therapy. It's it's in, it's bringing them back to the scene of the crime at a pace they can handle, you know, at a gradual pace. But they're actively narrating and telling their story. Like they're going through it right then and there. And the clinician is adjusting the time of day and the number of people in the scenario or the the bomb that went off 100 yards in that direction and then the one that went off right next to the vehicle. Clinician has a, a Wizard of Oz control panel. And in that way, you can mimic the patient's story in real time and get them to dig down beyond the, you know, the cognitive sanitized description of the event beyond that to pull up the emotions that come with it. This is why I like to say that uh, VR is an emotionally evocative technology. It can, you can either put people in stories that, you know, if you design the simulation right, that is very emotionally evocative, or you can put them in store in content that evokes their own story for a therapeutic purpose. So, that, uh, in a nutshell, uh, is, uh, you know, a couple of examples of how narr- narrative fits into mental health and VR. Can you tell, do you, or do you have any data or any, um, have you seen results in terms of how people process stories in headsets specifically or things that people that are doing regular cinematic productions, you know, the Hollywood versions or the Playa Vista versions, yeah, um, yeah. that we, they can learn from that? Yeah, and- we haven't, you know, we haven't done the kinds of research that's specific to the impact of story other than can we activate someone 
by putting them in these simulations. And we've documented that, certainly, that um, with heart rate variability going through the pre-deployment resilience training, when the crap hits the fan at the end, you see a, a real change in heart rate variability, which is indicative of a stress. So we know that the, the content is emotionally activating. Um, well, good. Then we have proof that it is not just hearsay that people are putting on a headset and having an emotional response that you can, you know. Right, right. There, so there is data, and that's the first data point you need to collect because if you're just building something that's boring and somebody's sitting like how the they're sitting through an, an HR training program for, you know, <laughs> how not to be a sexual harasser, you know, and people are falling asleep while they're doing it. Um, then you're not effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, that's the key thing. What are the best metrics to gauge that? Now, we had done work back in 2004 with spherical video for journalism. This was well before the, the, you know, the next generation renaissance of spherical video. We had a very primitive camera, but we did a news story down in Skid Row. And we're right there in the middle of Skid Row, homeless people, crowds walking and going by, people with mental health conditions walking up to the camera. We had a, a, a news anchor telling a story, a three-minute story, and the user, could e- you could either look at just a news anchor in a single frame and hear the story, or you could be in a VR headset and look around while she's narrating the story over there and looking around at the place, and we studied memory. What do people remember from the actual content of the news story? Uh, you know, we were able to break up the three-minute story into separable bits of information that were conveyed. And what we found was immediately after the event, um, and you said, okay, tell me what you saw. And you had two groups, the VR group and the single frame group. It was pretty much equivalent. People remembered the same amount. It was like short-term, very short-term memory. Remembered the same amount of content. But when we called them up a week later and asked them, do you remember that story that you saw when you came to our lab? that people that had the VR experience remembered more of the objective content. We published that, I think, 2000, 2005 or six somewhere in there. But the interesting thing with that is that if you look at the sheer amount of information someone's exposed to in that immersive narrative where they're in the scene while the story is being told, there's a heck of a lot more information that a person is being deluged with because they're hearing a story, but... They're seeing a guy pushing a shopping cart over here or somebody with a mental health condition hallucinating over there. And so you, you could make the case, geez, that's a more distracting setting to extract content from a narrative. But it, it wasn't the case. And I think what it is is that all that context provided a framework so that the oral narrative of the news reporter had some hooks to hang on to and it's stuck and so um, i'd love to redo that now um, with much better spherical video and um, we have another one we did for a museum exhibit uh, recently at um, the heroes hall veterans museum down in orange county and this museum is set up as part of the orange county fairgrounds i don't know if you're familiar with that it's a real big fair that they have um and 
the idea was they wanted to, they wanted to do a whole exhibit on mm-hmm. PTSD. And I said, well, you know, to do the clinical thing, you need a, you need somebody there to operate the equipment. You're not going to get a lot of throughput. You know, you get a lot of people coming. So we came up with the idea of taking a very low cost headset like uh, Samsung Gear VR and also the Oculus Go. And we built a six minute narrative called the soldier's tale. Uh, and basically what it was is a, a guy who'd been in Afghanistan spending time, you know, just telling a story about his experience, but not a once upon a time story. It was more like existential musings about <laughs> things that he did and events. And I should have paid attention over here because I didn't see that guy with the cell phone and it ended up, he ignited a bomb. Well, so you, you have that narrative going on, that narration, but you also have um, 3D graphics that are following the narrative that we took from our PTSD stuff. So it starts off, he's walking down a marketplace in Afghanistan and he's talking about, you know, just everyday kind of things about the, the patrol. And then the bomb goes off. And uh, the next scene, it kind of gets all jaggedy. And next scene, it opens up. Um, and he's in a helicopter, medic helicopter being flown away uh, with blast injury. You know, so he didn't have any gouges or cuts because we couldn't show a lot, any blood in this thing because kids could would yeah. have to go through it too. Um, and there's a narration at that point. Then it lands and he's getting wheeled into Bagram and he's talking about, I, you know, I, I thought I had my dome rattled, but I didn't realize uh, it was going to take me a month and a half before they clear me to return to get back to my tribe, you know. Um, and they, you see him getting wheeled into the, uh, into the, the, you know, emergency area. And then it fades to black as he says that. And then it pops back up and now he's in a turret in a vehicle going down, uh, a, a desert roadway. And he starts talking about, oh, it's great to be back. I really miss my guys. I didn't know what to do with myself. I thought I was much better telling that story. And then all of a sudden there's another attack and, he starts talking about the kind of things that soldiers talk about when they're going through, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, and the aftermath. And, you know, it finally ends after that attack scene, which goes on for about a minute and a half. Um, it fades out and it fades up and he's on a hillside, kind of an idyllic setting looking out over an Afghan village. Um, and sun Sunset kind of thing, real nice clouds and... And he starts talking like, you know, it's my last day here and I'll probably never be back here. And it's almost like he's he's longing. Yeah. yeah, he's wanting to stay in some way, you know. But it's like an emotionally evocative experience that basically 20,000 visitors to the museum in the span of 21 days of the Orange County Fair got to experience. We had 10 setups set up with, you know, a gear or go you slap it on your head, automatically starts. And after this, after they went through the exhibit and saw all kinds of photos and videos of patients talking, and they finish it off by putting the headset on. And uh, I think it, I thought it was pretty pretty cool because we couldn't set up the therapy system, but we could set up a narrative that gave people the sense of somebody that actually went through this stuff and then recreate it in VR while they're talking. So, 
Well, it's an impressive feat to do that in six minutes and be able to to um, have people really experience something so heavy and deep. Yeah, and, but and it was delicate because it's a museum exhibit. It wasn't well, I, a training no episode. blood component. So yeah, yeah, you had to be you had to get across the impact of the experience without freaking people out. You know? So how do you work? Do you um, how do you collaborate? How does a process like this work? Um, I'm, are you writing the the scripts yourself, or the way this one went was that um, um, the veteran that went through it, he also works for, he set up a a veteran support agency called Crusades Twenty Two. Um, We've been kicking around the idea of doing it, and then the museum came up; they wanted to do it, and they had very little money, but enough we could we could build this thing out without making you know. It's not, we're not talking, you know, Call of Duty, heavy 3D graphics cinematics, but I think it's pretty good. You can try it if you want before you go. I, I have a headset here. But he um, he wrote down some rough thoughts, and then I went through it with our team here, and it was like, okay, do we have the content to mirror the story? And we had to modify a couple elements because we don't have, you know, complete, Library. Yeah, a library of every kind of a, a place. So we're able to massage the story to to be able to fit it into a way that it, we could represent it in the 3D graphics that we had available to us. And uh, went back and forth with him, and he was totally cool. You know, he loved the process and uh, he had a great voice. We used him for the narration. Um, you really should try it so you can get the idea. Well, it sounds, uh, you know, the authenticity, you know, yeah, adds to it. Yeah, a real story too, yeah. you know. And uh, and then we got some software that allowed us to take our 3D graphic content and create a spherical video, if you will, mm-hmm. on rails. But instead of it being taken from a camera, it's now made from the, the 3D graphics that we've created. And, uh, you know, the guy spent, you know, about a month hammering on it back and forth. We'd look at it, point things out. You know, and I, I would like to actually add a couple elements to it and clean up some of it and submit it to, uh, you know, some of these film festivals, festivals where, you know, you can submit the immersive narratives like this. Because, you know, look at, again, it's not, it's not the, you know, you're not talking about Spielberg level, you know, special effects and graphics, but the graphics are enough to set the stage so that you focus on the emotional content of the story. Yeah, so That's really good. Yeah, and I like the, that we were able to get, 20,000 people over about a thousand people a day during the, during the fair time. And the exhibit was up, um, for nine months there. And, uh, one of the most compelling immersive narratives I've ever been in was at, um, a studio called real effects in Uh Dallas and the flight school group there has built a Dan Carlin, the, the hardcore history podcast guy. Um, he did, you know, five five or six episodes on World War One. They're about four hours apiece and really graphic descriptions of trench warfare. Well, I went through the trench warfare experience in a full-on, you know, Vive headset being tracked. And I've, I don't know if I've ever had as provocative and fulfilling An emotional, emotional experience and um, that is playing at uh, being revealed. Uh, it was revealed at Tribeca, 
and I think it's going to be in the Smithsonian. And it really showed the the potential power for historical narrative to be delivered in a VR component. So instead of going to the void and, you know, you know, playing, playing with dinosaurs. 3D, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you're in an event and you get to build, hopefully you see the empathy for the people that are being ordered to climb out of a trench into a meat grinder and just getting shot instantly. And all of a sudden it's your turn to climb out and you're looking at the guy like, uh, maybe I should get over here and shoot rather than climbing out and being a, a or target. Or avoid the mustard gas. And, yeah. yeah, they had, yeah, the, they yeah. had yeah. gas. They had the gas flowing. They had those old tanks going up. They had the bomb sh- the bomb craters filled with the toxic stew of oh, yeah. bodies and everything. Um it was uh it was again emotionally evocative. So as somebody in the psychology psychiatry realm, is there anything else specific to VR that you think is overlooked by mainstream or in terms of it's great at kind of passing on emotion or conveying emotion and empathy. Is there something else that it, it sounds like it's good at learning or teaching? Teaching uh, things for how to respond and cope with stressful events. And, you know, we did it in the military context, but maybe police in the police academy might benefit from it. Maybe, um, you know, uh, first responders, firefighters, anybody that, you know, has to deal with stress. I mean, I think police... It's so underestimated the amount of stress that is in that job that it's amazing that it's it's not even worse for them in terms of mental health, divorce, drinking, uh, which are all higher than most other occupations because they're they're dealing every day with with you know you think about your worst day well they're dealing with ten other people's worst days in an average in a day, you know? There's a lot of decision-making that they have to do. Under stress, yeah. Under, under stress. Yeah. So I see um, I see the power of the technology in being able to put people in a context that either activates an emotion that helps them to learn how to deal with um, events in the future or helps them to reprocess emotions about things that happened in their past so that they can move forward rather than being paralyzed uh, by those things like post-traumatic stress. But even for smaller things, whether it's, um, you know, uh, anxiety disorders with, you know, phobias, fear of flying, fear of public speaking, these are all things that VR um, has been documented scientifically to be of real value, less narrative um, and more experiential. Um, but there's bunches of things. I mean, engaging people when they're undergoing painful, acutely painful medical procedures, engaging them in an immersive narrative or giving them an experience of being somewhere other than where they are going through this procedure. Um, that's another area where VR has shown uh, significant benefits and it is being widely adopted now as a real tool for distraction. Um, you know, physical therapy, cognitive uh, rehabilitation therapy after a stroke or brain injury, um, you know, the problem we see there is that people have a hard time doing sufficient practice, drill and practice trials to recover their function. Well, we put it in a game like context. We track their body movement or their actions, put them in a VR simulation that, you know, makes the very boring, repetitive and frustrating activities of rehab maybe more fun and engaging. Adding in a narrative element to it, I think would 
would would be real positive, especially if you had a game that um, you could split up into chapters where, you know, you do your physical therapy one day in this one game and you get to a point where you've done sufficient number of trials and you've moved along in a story and now it's a cliffhanger. And it's like you'd be looking forward to doing your therapy the next day just to find out what happened in you know, and the, oh, the result like of the Netflix, cliffhanger. how you keep going yeah, on and on. Yeah, you binge out <laughs> at three in the morning. It's like, all right, maybe one more before we go to bed. One more rehabilitation <laughs> exercise, please. Yeah. 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 So it's motivational, you know. I mean, we want to engage people. We want to motivate them. We want to give them opportunities to do things that um, they might not do in the real world. That's uh, true. All right. Do you have any last project you want to share? Anything that you're working on that's... Super cool, super neat. Uh, you know, the, the the big passion project right now, of course, is our, our work with autism. I mean, we're continuing, of course, on all the fronts that I've discussed, um, uh, particularly the PTSD and, um, and moving that towards civilian uh, use. But the work we're doing autism, I think, is really... Uh, positive because I'm seeing positive benefits. Uh, and in one project, and this would be one that we'll be talking about at South by Southwest, is about using augmented reality to help people on the high end of the autism spectrum practice their job interviewing skills. And we've done it in VR. We've done it with a big TV. You know, and basically what it is, is, you know, think of the population. Um, this population that oftentimes is very talented, you know, very intellectually capable. They can do the damn job, but they choke in social interaction of an interview. You know, that's that's the part of the, the you know, the condition or the challenges that they face. So we created in VR initially um, a system where you can pick from, you know, six different characters, different age, gender, ethnic background, and you can put them in a different job context. So you have six contexts, uh, a restaurant job, an office job, a warehouse, things like that. And then you can adjust each character's personality from soft touch interviewer to neutral interviewer to son of a uh, cranky uh, our interviewer. Our favorites. <laughs> yeah, our cranky interviewers there. And, um, and, and so you've got all these ways to modify the challenge level. And it does two things. It gives them an opportunity. And they're more willing to talk to a piece of software and a, a 3D graphic character than role-playing with a real person. Yeah, because they're not being judged, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so they can go through, you know, the nice character, soft-touch interviewer, easy questions. But then you can make that character cranky or you can go to another character and it's not like practicing with a familiar person like your vote counselor where you're comfortable. When you go on a job interview, you're going to be getting interviewed by a stranger. So you got to have these these different characters to train with. And uh, and by doing that repeatedly, you're doing like kind of like exposure therapy where you're helping people confront and process the, you know, their, their fears. fears. But you also give them a chance to practice how you're going to represent yourself and that role play stuff works, you know, that matters no matter what the population is. So I'm I was going to say, who we could all benefit. Him? Yeah. Who wouldn't welcome this? <laughs> and that's the beauty. You know, this is not, this is not our most uh, dramatic intellectual achievement to build this system. You know, um, you know, it's on rails in a lot of ways. It, it's not gigantic, but it has tremendous generalizability. So now 
We're using it with veterans that are having a hard time. Change up the questions a bit. You know, how does your mil- how did your military experience prepare you to be able to do the tasks of this job? You know, you would think people would prepare for that, but a lot of times people get caught out of the blue, and now you got to start thinking about that. Or what about the ass that says to you, oh, you're in Afghanistan. Did you ever kill anybody? You know, or you, you're a veteran. Uh, you don't have PTSD, do you? You're not going to go postal on us. These are inappropriate questions, but they get asked. So you prepare veterans for those challenges. The third group now we're playing it with is juveniles that are incarcerated, that are about to be released. Wow. Yeah, so they're going to be released at 18. Some of them have been in, in you know, residential programs since they were 14. They've never done a job interview. And now they gotta, they got to get out and not just do a job interview, but they got to explain, you know, well, I, you know, I did, I got a GED because I didn't finish high school because I had this. I was in juvie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. So all of a sudden now, a very simple, basic um, kind of a, an interactive simulation uh, can have generalized ability to everybody. What about, you know, maybe, you know, I don't care about making money on the pain of people on the spectrum or veterans or juveniles, but I will make money on a parent that wants to buy that system or license use of it to help their kid practice for a college entrance interview, <laughs> you know, or whatever, whatever the next uh, thing that we tackle. I mean, so there's, there's a lot of ways to build and test VR simulations that are designed for helping people with, you know, health conditions or whatever. But eventually you could make your money, um, you know, translating everything you learn to into a commercial yeah, context. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Skip, thanks so much. I really appreciate your spending your afternoon here with us. Certainly. It's and, been great. Uh, look forward to speaking to you again. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>